Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast. And how can you be sure, you the listener, how can you be sure that you're not accidentally downloading last week's episode twice? Because I'm here, Greg Mahachko, and I'm joined by uh, Ty Peter Onitz, our volleyball guru. Of course, uh, the Five Heart Podcast brought to you by Coordination.com and hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. Uh, Ty, first, before we, we dive into the celebration, I have to uh, commend you and Haas for uh, uh, carrying the weight last week with my technical difficulties, and uh, here I am producing it. I, I'm the silent uh, leg of the tripod, but you guys knocked it out of the park. It was a great, great episode. Really entertaining. Uh, good job. Hey, I appreciate that. You know, I thought uh, Haas did a great job, kind of running the show, uh, and then uh, when the script got flipped, and I got to ask him some questions, uh, you know, I felt really good. I really enjoyed that. Uh, we obviously would have enjoyed having you on the podcast more, but uh, I'm glad that we could uh, step in, kind of step up when it needed to be, as it were. You, you, you say that now, but but I happen to read the Slack chat room. After the conversation, you and Haas were both bragging, like, this is going to be the best episode. Most downloads on this one without Greg than we've ever had before. I know. I saw. You guys don't think I was there, but I saw it all. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> I, I, I like how I BS'd and you didn't even deny it. You're like, yeah, that's probably happened. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend. No, I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that that didn't happen. Uh, so let's get right into it. Last time we talked was just before... Uh, the NCAA uh, Women's Volleyball Final Four. Uh, so yep. that uh, episode aired on Thursday, or, or dropped, I should say, down, was able to download Thursday morning. Uh, Thursday night, Nebraska, and you called it, man. You called this match down to a T. Uh, you said Nebraska's going to win in five sets over Penn State, and I love NCAA Volleyball's tweet that they had after the match was over, after Nebraska had won. They said Penn State 33-0 and against everyone else. 0-2 against Nebraska. When you look at that yep. five-set victory, do you consider that? I mean, it was it was the Final Four match, but do you consider that the national champion? Like, did you have whoever winning uh, that match, did you have them pegged as the national champion? And obviously it was Nebraska, and you predicted Nebraska winning. But did you figure whoever won that match was going to go on and win it all? Yeah, I did. I really felt like um, I mean, it was number one, deservedly so. They 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 lost obviously at this point now two matches all season, and they just had they had depth and talent at every position. You know, from Simone Lee to Haley Washington, um, and uh, you know, just every position. There's a great player there, and so um, you know, I really felt like if Nebraska could beat Penn State, and I really thought Nebraska was going to beat Penn State. You know, and I talked to a couple of people, and I've said this a few times that, but when when I looked at the bracket initially, I was like, well, we're going to make it. We've got a really good chance to make it to the final four, and then Penn State's going to beat us. I really felt that initially, 
And then for whatever reason, when the final four was set and Nebraska made it, I went, no, Nebraska's going to win this match. I don't know what it was that made me change my mind. I don't know, you know, why I, I really believe that. And, and part of it may well have been the fact that we had already done it once, but I really believe that Nebraska was going to win that match. And I said five sets because, you know, Nebraska and Penn State don't just show up to that match and go, oh, yeah, that's who we're playing. They, that, that's a match that's marked. That, that's a that's a legitimate rivalry there. And, and, you know, and you can look at it with some of the things that, that Russ Rose said, he was, he was a little salty talking uh, about, you know, playing. Now this is the second final four. That's been a de facto home mission for the Huskers. And then he made a comment about how, you know, well, of course we could have, uh, as we, we would also have a big 10 championship banner if we hung those things up in our gym. <laughs> so he was a little salty about it. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's a real, it's a real rivalry and, and Nebraska, I really felt like was going to bring it. And, and I did talent wise, top to bottom with everything that both teams had. I felt like that was going to be the national championship match. We talk about Nebraska Penn state volleyball being a rivalry. And I, I mean, again, it, it crept into my awareness, you know, in the last few years, but uh, really has built since Nebraska joined the big 10. Who would, who was that Penn State, who was that, you know, equal caliber team when Nebraska was in the Big 12? Texas. Okay. And, and still, I mean, Texas is still one of the one of the elite teams in the country. And really, you know, as much as as much as Husker fans were griping about Nebraska dropping out of the top four and being essentially replaced by Kentucky, I really felt like Texas fans had a bigger gripe about not being in the top four and in fact being all the way down at six. Um, because really, I thought based on the the whole body of work for the season, not I think Nebraska was a top four team. I think they should have been. But if you're looking at the whole body of work, which is apparently what the selection committee looked at when they picked the top four seeds, I thought Texas had a better a better resume to be a top four team than either Nebraska or Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, I mean Texas was absolutely that school that that team in the Big Twelve. When we get back to that semifinal matchup, Nebraska wins the uh, first set, and then Penn State takes the next two. I really thought that, uh, you know, obviously Nebraska needed to win the fourth one to, to force the fifth set. That's that's a no-brainer. But there was a turning point, right. and it, it really felt, I, I believe it was, was it after, I, I felt if Nebraska would have won the first two, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say this as simply as I can. If <laughs> if if the match was going to go to five sets, yeah. my philosophy, my 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 mental processes was whoever wins the fourth set is going to win the fifth set. Right? Uh, is that obviously that's not uncommon? I mean, it, but but is that more common right. than is that more common than you know? Well, I've won maybe the second and the third or the first and the third and then going to go on and win the fifth or does it does it seem like the momentum from that fourth set victory carries you on in the fifth you know i will i will tell you from a coach's perspective you want to be the team that wins that fourth set if you're going to go to a fifth you want to be the team that wins the set right before the decider um just because you do feel like there's a little bit of momentum but i you know i couldn't tell you what the percentages are as far as you know winning you know, because you look at, at the opponent in the national championship match, you look at Florida. Florida won the first two sets against Stanford, and then Stanford won sets three and four, and Florida took set five. 
So, you know, there you've got Stanford with two sets of momentum and then Florida wins the fifth set anyway. So as a coach, as a player, you want to win that fourth set because you do feel like it gives you momentum. And I do feel like the way Nebraska won the fourth set against Penn State was a big played a, a huge role, you know, because Nebraska had the first set point and then Penn State had a couple of match points. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the setter tripped over the, the right side hitter. And it meant that, that that ball fell to the floor, and then Nebraska took the next two points and won the won the set. So I think the way that Nebraska won that fourth set played a huge role in Nebraska winning the match. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I have not looked at. I, I've never crunched those numbers to see. You know, if you win these two sets or these two sets, you know, what's the what's the best combination right. of sets to win in a five set match if you're gonna win, if it's gonna go five. Would you say that, uh, and obviously, as you just mentioned, played a huge part in in the outcome, but would you say that that trip right at the end of the uh, fourth set was the turning point, or or was there something else that happened in that fourth set for Nebraska that that kind of changed the course of the match? If you're going to if you're going to identify a turning point, I would absolutely say it was that third or that trip. I mean, that was a it was a it was a dime pass. That that ball was right on the money, right where it needed to be, and feet just got tangled up. Um, so I mean, that certainly didn't hurt us. And you never know what happens. Maybe that set goes up and we block it. Maybe they hit it out of bounds. You know, there's there are, are countless possible outcomes of that set being a of that ball getting set. But yeah, absolutely, it kind of there was that sense of. Hey, you know what? We we've got this. We can do this. This is that was a huge help for Nebraska in, in winning that set. They go on to the uh, fifth set, and and what I like it, it again because I'm I don't know old and set my ways and and resist change. When I first you know when when I was following volleyball and reporting on it, when they first changed to rally scoring, I'm like I don't know. This is weird, uh, but man, it's so much fun and so exciting because every. Every volley matters. Every everything mm-hmm. leads to a point one way or another. Uh, so that that makes it really exciting. And and uh, as you mentioned, you know this was the second time that you know Penn State and, and uh, their their coach has been a little salty about well, you know home home games and home matches whatnot. Um, but Nebraska fans, just like they are, very aware and very cognizant of football rules and. And you know how the game should be played. They're very intelligent volleyball fans as well. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and just like in football, I think they would travel. If if that final four was in Texas, I think we'd still see a very uh, right. respectable Nebraska turnout. Um, East Coast, maybe a week before Christmas. I don't know, uh, but but. You know, it's Husker Nation, and there are Husker fans all over the place, so I still think there will be a respectable turnout. Uh, the fact that it's in your backyard, that's just awful nice. Um, and, and the crowd, I mean, that was – when you have Husker power chants going on yeah. uh, at, at key points in, in a Final Four in a high-impact uh, moment, that, that was awfully impressive. Well, and it is, and you're absolutely right with all that you said. And, and you even look at Husker turnout in Lexington for the, you know, Husker fan turnout in Lexington, Kentucky for the uh, regional final. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. There's that aspect of, you know, hey, Kansas City is we can drive down, watch the match, and drive back if we really want to push it. And so, 
you know, there is some of that. But, I, you know, next year is in Minnesota and Minneapolis, and I don't see any reason that there's not going to be huge Husker fan turnout if the Huskers make it again, you know, because it's not that far. So <laughs> there is there there is a little bit of, you know, probably just – I don't know the word, the, the word I'm looking for, but just, you know, Penn State fans, well, Penn State's got great volleyball fans. They're, they don't, Penn State sports fans don't travel like Husker fans mm-hmm. do. So, you know, there's absolutely a little bit of that kind of, the, the, a little bit of that that plays in there. Going in, and, and again, like we mentioned, knowing that the winner of that Thursday match going to be the favorite on Saturday, uh, you were very close. Uh, you said n- <laughs> Nebraska would sweep, uh, or not sweep, Nebraska would beat Penn State in five uh, and yep. win the championship in four. However, yep. you did make an, a slight error on the opponent. Um, and, and we've got to touch on Slight's an understatement. Just, be, just from the fact that Stanford was the defending champ, uh, right. and, and you had them pegged to uh, sweep Florida, and, and I believe the I word – the words you said were Florida doesn't belong. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll continue to say that. <laughs> oh, so but I'll qualify it, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Uh, and, and again, it's not Nebraska, so it's not that we don't care. It's just that we don't care as much, but, but what happened in, in that second final four match on, on Thursday, um, as you mentioned, Florida wins the first two. Stanford wins the uh, three and four, and then Florida comes back and, and wins that fifth set. And we saw some of the ability that Florida had Saturday night in the national championship uh, uh, match. But oh yeah, and, and I believe Stanford had the uh, uh, player of the year on, on their squad. Yes, um, yes. So was it was it the sum of the parts were greater than? I mean. What what happened? How did Stanford slip up, or or what did Florida do that was advantageous? Um, you know, and, and and I think you really hit on it there at the end of that, Greg. Is that um, you know Florida was definitely more than some of their parts, but so was Nebraska this year. Um, you know, you look at like you mentioned, National Player of the Year and Catherine Plummer, uh, which it should not go. We should not let it slide. Kelly Hunter today was given the prepvolleyball.com national player of the year. And that's not a small honor. That, that is a, that is a big deal. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more later, kind of about what Mary Wise said about Kelly Hunter after the match, but um, Florida coach Mary Wise, but you know, Florida had a lot of, a lot of girls who played together for a while. They, they love their coach. Mary Wise is a, is a well-respected coach in, in volleyball, you know, in the, in the NCAA and the volleyball community at large. Did I see and something where is, her winning percentage was in the 800s? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah that sounds exactly right. Incredible. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, she's, she's an unbelievable coach. Um, and she's, she's done fantastic things for, for the university of Florida for that program and never has a, has a female head coach been an NCAA national champion in division one. It's never happened. And so, you know, Florida was playing for a lot of those things. Um, I, I don't know that Stanford slipped. I don't, I just, I, I don't, you know, cause I look at when I think back to last year with uh, the final four and Nebraska being the heavy favorite and then getting swept by Texas, you know, I thought that there was a little bit of Nebraska looking past Texas, a little bit of, Hey, we've beaten this team, you know, so many times in a row. And our, you know, we're going to be the national champions, so let's just take care of this. Uh, I don't think that that was the case with Stanford. That's not the way that Kevin Hamblett coaches his team. And Stanford was returning most of last year's national championship team. 
You know, the, the key components outside of Inki Ajanaku who had graduated, they were returning a lot of those key components. So, it, you know, it felt like a pretty easy thing to say, hey, Stanford's going to, to sweep this. Um, you know, and Florida, credit to Florida because they won the matches that they needed to win. I mean, you know, I was talking to my dad about this uh, because my dad knows very little about volleyball, but he likes to talk about it with me because it's a thing that I know and like. And, you know, and we absolutely compared it to, you know, like with football, you hear the expression, any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. And that's that's obviously the case for any sport. But both Nebraska and Florida, to me, there was a, the one big similarity that the two teams have is that, you know, I kind of talked about uh, the seventh player on the court with the with each other for each other motto that the Huskers adopted this season. Mm-hmm. And I think I think. Florida had that as well. Like you said, absolutely greater than the sum of their parts. Their, their Libra was playing with a broken hand and a cast. Two of her fingers were casted all the way down to her wrists. And not only and that, but she was playing play. exceptionally well. Right. And she played at a very high level. Yes. You know, so I think both of those teams, I, I'm not going to for a minute claim that Nebraska was the most talented team in the NCAA this year. They weren't. Um, I think that there were other teams that had more talent than Nebraska did. I think that there were probably, if you look at the pure talent standpoint, a lot more, a lot of teams, I won't say a lot, but quite a few teams that probably have a stake to say, Hey, based on talent, we should have been in that match. Um, but they weren't because Nebraska and Florida fought harder to get there. You cannot argue with how deep those teams dug, how hard those teams worked. Um, and that those intangibles of chemistry and, you know, the, the, the team bonding and, and those things that went into those teams being there. When we talk about, uh, you know, team bonding, and I know there was a, uh, a team workout, a little practice on Saturday during the day. Yep. And at that time, uh, on the big screen there, in uh, the overhead screens, uh, I, I really got a, a kick out of this. Uh, somehow, the, uh, uh, the arena there in Kansas City was able to, uh, get a feed or video or something of the UNL graduation ceremony, and yep. and so uh, and and kudos to the university and and I think they would probably would have done this although numbers may have been a factor but you know I'm sure they would have done this if the football team had a bowl game that day or something like that they might have uh, recognized that but but uh, the uh, and I guess it was uh, the president uh, or whomever was leading the commencement ceremonies that singled out a very special, uh, you know, Husker, uh, who, uh, couldn't be part of the ceremony that day because she was, you know, preparing for the national mm-hmm. championship volleyball. So, uh, very, very good job by the university and, and, uh, congratulations to Brian Holman for not only graduating. And I, I tweeted this out from, uh, the five heart podcast, uh, uh, official Twitter account, uh, at the number five, heart podcast uh i said you know what you've already graduated why not just tack on a natty while you're at it and uh <laughs> um but uh it, you know she i don't think perhaps she played as well uh in the national championship as she did in the final four but she brought it uh, the ladies you know they they played exceptionally well um coming out of the intermission after nebraska went up two nothing i thought that florida would come out with some fire and they did uh and and maybe even caught nebraska sleeping a little bit um taking that third set but the ladies just they answered right back and and uh 
and, and won it all in, in four sets and, and had a nice uh, celebration yeah. there and it, it was fun to watch and, and uh, you know a lot of oh, people yeah. a lot of people I think Husker fans uh, you know some Husker fans obviously not us we're talking about it but I think a lot of people sleep on college volleyball but when you can watch any athletic contest at that highest level at that most competitive I mean it's something oh, special yeah. it was it was I was as excited for that as I have been for you know Husker football all season long um probably more well, so because they were playing for something you know well and let me you know I want to I want to spend a little bit more time talking about Brianna uh, Holman actually because uh, we learned in the the post-game press conference and I think some people did know this but we learned in the post-game press conference that Brianna was the first person in her immediate family to get a college degree so to have that happen on a day when she also won the national championship, which I tweeted from my Twitter account and called it the batty instead of the natty because it auto-corrected and I didn't double-check that. <laughs> um, but no, she, uh, she was the first person in her immediate family to earn a college degree. She did it on the day she also won the national championship, which was huge. She got a little emotional during the press conference talking about it. Uh, and don't forget, two years ago, she was sitting out because she had to serve, you know, she had to take a year off when she transferred from LSU. So two years ago, when the Huskers won the national championship, she didn't play in that one because she was in the, the you know, kind of moratorium. She was redshirting because she had transferred. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we learned, and Cook, Coach Cook mentioned this after Holman left uh, the press conference, when she transferred, Penn State had an open scholarship and Nebraska did not. She chose Nebraska over Penn State and had to take a loan out for her first semester at Nebraska. Oh, wow. Um, so she made a choice. She made a financial commitment to come to Nebraska for exactly this reason. And look, nobody's going to sit in here and claim that Holman is the difference between us winning it and Penn State winning it. But in the time that Holman's been at Nebraska, Penn State has won exactly zero national championships <laughs> and Nebraska has two. So it was a great choice by Bree. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to under. I think people need to appreciate what the choice that, that Holman made to come to Nebraska and, um, you know, and really, like you said, she didn't, you know, her numbers aren't spectacular by any means, but she, she hit 417 in the match. She had seven kills on 12 swings with two errors. She was part of six of the team's seven blocks. So, you know, I mean, she, she played well. Um, from, you know, we didn't get, we did part of the reason that the Brianna didn't get the ball a whole lot was because the passing was a little bit off when she was in the front row. It's hard. You can't get a ball to a middle blocker if you don't have a good pass. You just can't. And, and it just seems like, um, as you said, you know, seven, I think you said seven kills on, on 12. Um, yep. Seven it, kills on 12 swings with tears. And, and if you think about it though, it, it's almost like, and, and like you said, you know, it's tough to get it to the middle blocker. Um, but yeah, it just seems like they they weren't getting her the ball. But but based on no. your reasoning there, what what you said, it's not because they didn't want to. You know, no. it, it just wasn't uh, uh, wasn't the the most opportune situation. Uh, but no. when we when we talk about opportune situations, you got to bring up and and uh, uh, I've got to bring up Michaela Fecky because she was wow. lights out. I mean, was she the all tournament player? Did she end up being? being that or she did she she and kelly hunter were were both given the uh, most outstanding player for the tournament um and and i was going to talk about fecky partially a big part of that is because that's part of the reason Bree didn't get the ball a lot is because fecky was front row with her for two of the three rotations she's up there um 
the other rotation, it's obviously uh, Annika Albright. But but when you've got Fecky up there, and uh, Hunter said at one point that she had talked to Lauren Sirvins about trying to get Lauren the ball a little bit more, and Lauren looked at her and went, no, feed the beast. <laughs> and that's what they did. Is They just got Fecky the ball. I mean, she was... She kind of looked like Fecky from two years ago. You know, Fecky's had to change her game. She's been more dynamic this year. And being a six-position player, you know, playing back row as well as front row affects the focus that you can have on being that that big terminating attacker. But, you know, in these big games, Fecky steps up, and she does what she needs to do, and she's going to take over. And and like you said, uh, you know, as far as feeding the beast, I mean, when – on the basketball court, when when the shooter's got the hot hand, you, you throw it to yep. the wing or to the corner. Um, in football, if if the offensive line is you know churning and opening up holes, and the running back's got space, you feed the running back. Same thing in volleyball. If if your attacker is knocking it out of the park and 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 yep. uh, using the, I, I'm going to use the word that the announcers used, uh, vision. And, and uh, Michaela had had great vision. Uh, I shouldn't say past tense. I mean, it was only five days ago but has great vision and uh uh, you know able to utilize that and and her strength um you know just yeah feed it and 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 that's exactly what they did and and so while her numbers yeah a little bit uh, better than brianna's you certainly can't uh undermine what what brianna's uh uh, contributions were um and again the, the the hashtag they've been using all season long says it all with each other for each other yep. so going in you knew it was never going to be the one a one person show it was always going to be you know six ladies on the court at one time working yep. as as a, a well-oiled machine perhaps a dig machine oh man and man the digs <laughs> the digs were incredible kenzie maloney made some absolutely unbelievable digs on the night uh sydney townsend who struggled a little bit against Penn State, especially in serve-receive, turned that all around and played great ball on Saturday night. Um, you know, it was really interesting. When you look at the stats, uh, you have two of Nebraska's outside hitters in Jazz Sweet and Annika Albright who hit zero. They were they had as many errors as they had kills, and the team still won the match. Uh, you know, and in four sets, no, no less. You know, and then you go and you look at. Fecky, who had 20 kills with six errors on 56 swings. Yeah, they fed the beast. Yeah. Her shoulder's probably still sore. Uh, but, you know, Florida had a lot of great swings that didn't find the floor because you had uh, Sydney getting under the ball. You had Albright getting balls up. You had Maloney getting balls up. I mean, and Maloney was huge. There were a couple of plays that she made that were just unbelievable. And she was doing it also from the service line as well. She was, yeah. Uh, and she did it against Penn State. I think she had four aces against Penn State mm-hmm. on Saturday or on Thursday night, and then she had another ace on on Saturday night against um, against Florida. Can I ask a you stupid know, question? Go ahead. Because these are volleyball players at the top of their game. Yeah. Um, but as you said, you know there were four aces one night, one ace, and how difficult is it? in all reality to score an ace uh and and especially you know at at this level that they were playing at this type of competition obviously it's a little different if it's the first two weeks of the season and you're you're playing i'm gonna i'm gonna pick on them again gosh darn it jill i'm sorry if you're picking on uh you know south dakota state or something and, and maybe the competition level isn't quite as there but but how difficult is it because at the high school level you see a a 
you can see, I shouldn't make such a bl- blanket generalized statement, but you can see a pretty sizable discrepancy in, in, in uh, talent, and you might see yeah. one player rack up a bunch of aces, but at this level, how difficult is it to you know get an ace on your opponent? It's, it's, it's very hard. I mean, because you're talking about girls who not only uh, fundamentally can pass the heck out of a volleyball, but are also very quick, can read the ball quickly so they can get to where they need to be. So if you're acing somebody, not only are you um, putting a ball on them that they cannot get their body underneath, but they're also you're also, a lot of times, and this was what Kenzie did really well on Thursday night against Penn State, sometimes you're dropping a ball just over the net that they don't realize is going short until it's too late. Um, so the ability to, to record one ace, let alone four at this level is, uh, is remarkable, but that's the, the team that they wanted to be this year. They were going to be an aggressive team that went for those aces. I mean, they were, they were, you know, coach cook talked quite a few times where he said, you know, we're going to be a high risk, high reward team when it comes to aces, we might, make some errors, but we might have more errors than our opponents, but we're also going to have more aces than our opponents. So we're going to take those errors as long as we're acing them as well. It seems like, as you mentioned, words right out of your mouth, that's the type of team they wanted to be. But it also seems, you know, just looking at the entire, you know, coaching philosophy, player philosophy, they wanted to be a balanced, well-rounded team. And, uh, I really think that that showed, uh, you know, obviously, they're they're the best team in the country. Uh, you know, they're the national champions. But right. but w- would you say, looking at at their entire approach uh, this year, that uh, from the service line, uh, from defense, from the attack, that they were a just a very balanced team. Yeah, I think that's that's a that would absolutely be an accurate way to talk about the team. They they absolutely excuse me. They did put a big focus on defense this year because cook said uh, from the get-go you know we're not going to win we're not going to be the big 10 champion this year if we can't defend better than anybody else in the conference so that was a big focus for the team and you had annika albright who you know now had four years playing or now as she graduates has had four years playing across the back row and always playing great defense kenzie maloney played great you had um you know sydney townsend whose role was her role was elevated this year on the team and then you had Fecky playing all the way across the back row too. So defense was a huge focus on the team. Offense hasn't been a problem for this team for, you know, well, let's go back to at least Fecky's freshman year. So the last three years now, because Fecky's just been a monster. And to be totally honest with you, I wasn't sure that Devaney Floor was going to survive two years of Holman and Fecky just pounding away <laughs> like they did. Uh, I thought they were going to have to replace that flooring. But, uh, you know, offense hasn't been a problem. <clears throat> that service line, that aggressive mentality, and then you add you know, every coach that you talk to when they introduce defense will say defense is a mindset. You have to want to throw your body down. You have to be willing to get kind of almost uncontrolled out there underneath a ball that's coming at you somewhere north of 50 miles an hour. Uh, and that, that you know, that's a mindset. You've got to want to say, damn, damn it all, I'm throwing my body underneath it so I can get this ball up. And, and that's what you saw with this team. You saw that mindset defensively that we're going to keep points alive because as long as we can get another ball up as long as we can extend this rally by another ball we got a chance well the uh the husker women are breathing some rarefied air 
Uh, they are national yep. champions for the second time in three years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Ty, I can't thank you enough because your enthusiasm is infectious. Uh, and, I'm glad. And, and when you start, you know, I we folks, when, before we started recording, uh, I said, you know, pro- won't take up much of your time, maybe 15 or so minutes. Well, we're past a half hour now uh, because – Ty is answering questions, and, and as he's doing so, it, it uh, comes to mind another question, you know, something that I can bounce off him and, and another idea. And I'd be the first to admit that I'm not the smartest volleyball mind, uh, but I love asking questions. Uh, and, and Ty, as always, man, you're great with the answers and uh, and bringing the knowledge. And, and uh, uh, I appreciate all the coverage that you give to uh, the volleyball team and, and all of your contributions at coronation.com. So, uh, thank you, sir, for another uh, successful season of of Husker volleyball, and and we didn't even talk. I, the listeners all know, and everybody who follows Coronation uh, knows, but you were there Saturday night for the championship. Um, yep. Did you catch any help from your your wife and and newborn for that, or? Well, I, I get a lot of help from from Everett just because you know he's a newborn and very demanding. <laughs> I, um, I remember those days. No, you know what? Uh, it was something that we had talked about, and I said, you know, everybody's healthy and everybody's okay. I said, would it would it work for you if I go down to Kansas City to cover it? And, and you know, because it's not far away. And her, her mom and dad came and stayed here while I was gone, and so it worked out pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I mean, no, it was, it was relatively painless. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, glad you got there and back safe. And, uh, uh, yeah. Enjoy your uh, first Christmas with your new addition, and, uh, and, and thank you. I, I hope that now are you all heading home to Colorado, or are you staying staying put this year? We'll see. We'll see how uh, how everything goes. Um, I obviously want to get back to Colorado. I've got a snowmobile up there; it's calling my name, and <laughs> uh, you know I like being back there. But obviously, you know when priorities change a little bit, you kind of roll with the punches. You you know how this is better than I do. Um, I don't know, but about you know, we'll see. I I, we're, I, we're, I I know of it as well. I don't know if I say I, I know anything better than you, die. <laughs> I don't know. You you've, you've done it a little bit longer than I have, and you still have a you got a, a successful human being thus far. So I do. Before we go, I do want to make sure that we we talk about Kelly Hunter. Okay. Um, just because the reason I want to talk about her is is like I said earlier, she did win the Prep Volleyball Player of the Year award, uh, which is not a small recognition. It's not. Uh, the ESPNW award, which went to Catherine Plummer, or the ABCA award, which went to Catherine Plummer from Stanford. Uh, but it is a big deal. You know, you're looking at there's a lot of coaches from around the country whose voices are heard in that. But after the match, uh, in the press conference, Florida coach Mary Wise said, uh, heaped praise on Hunter and said, she's one of the best setters I've ever seen. She is absolutely the best setter in the country. And you talked a little bit about the hitter's vision, but Kelly's ability to know where to put the ball and to put that ball on a spot every time consistently for that hitter to be able to have a chance to do something with is, is unbelievable. Um, you know, and so the success of this team is so much on, on what she managed to do, where she managed to put the ball. And she also was a defensive force. Uh, she had a ton of digs. I think she had 14 digs in the championship match. And, and coach cook talked about it too, you know, late in that, the, the, fifth set I think it or the fourth set excuse me I think it was against Florida Kelly dumped a ball to the corner to a spot that absolutely I mean she had about a 
a single square foot window that she could get that ball in. And she put it dead in the middle of that just to, to score a point, to move the Huskers on. Uh, so she was such a, was that the, Kelly Hunter was, was that the dig slash kill? No, the two dig slash kills were Kenzie Maloney. Okay. Um, which I, I remember I one of them, they, they showed her face afterwards. She's like, I didn't mean to do that, but eh, it worked. <laughs> right. Well, which always, so, with my team, since, for whatever reason, from the time I got to Dorchester, whenever we get one of those, we call them overpass kills or digs that ends up being, you know, over to the other side. We all look at each other, we put our fingers together and make a hashtag and then hold up whatever number that is in, this, in the course of the oh. match. Because it's not something that happens very often. It's always funny when it happens to the other team, not when it happens to your team. Sure, sure. Um, but no, she she took a ball, you know, because Kelly's typical dump would be to go up with both hands and then take the left hand and throw the ball down right into the middle of the defense. Okay, right. But she took a ball and, um, you know, she got both hands up ready to set, and then she took that left hand and flicked it back behind her head back to the very deepest corner of the court where there was absolutely no way anybody could get to it. And, uh, you know, and, and Kotok even said, you could just tell the Florida girls looking at it, like, no, there's no way. How does she do that? There's no way we're getting to that. Uh, and it was something they had worked on for Penn State because I noticed the Penn State's defense kind of crept up. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously the hitters get the, the lion's share of the accolades when you sure. look at this because those, you know, people, it's like the quarterback. People like to see when the quarterback does great things like that. People like to see the, the attacks in volleyball. You know, that's, that's something that people really understand. Um, so the setter, without, the setter in, in, in this case, uh, Kelly, the unsung hero, uh, largely. Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. I don't think she's ever going to get the recognition that she maybe deserves. Uh, but Hunter was such a crucial part of this run of this team with her ability to get the ball where the hitters could do something with it. And then just to be that kind of quiet, sudden offensive force that could change momentum or that could stop a run or that could, you know, just whatever the case needed to be. Ty, real quick before we let you go, and I know we, we yep. as we always do here, uh, nothing is linear, uh, but question that I wanted to ask you before uh, we started talking about Christmas and family and plans and things like that. Um, what type of losses will the Husker volleyball team suffer because of, you know, graduation and, and things like that? Uh, who, who's not going to be back next year uh, for those reasons? Well, the, the seniors, the, the seniors that you'll see gone will be Annika Albright, Brianna Holman and Kelly Hunter. Okay. Um, you know, that, that's all three a, very difficult to replace. Exactly. Annika was was phenomenal in the back row and, and ended up being a great power in the front row this year as well. Kelly, for the reasons that we just said, and, you know, Brianna, for some, some of the reasons that we talked about earlier, she was just a great player in the front row. She could terminate, she could block. She was everywhere. Her, you know, her size, Holman was only about six one. So she's a really small middle blocker. When you look at Wisconsin, who's got a six, eight middle blocker, Florida's got a six, eight middle blocker. Uh, Brianna, you know, seven inches is significant, but it never, she, you'd never notice by the way she played. Uh, so those three are going to be significant. Um, but you had a ton of freshmen this year who, who got some reps and who went through practice. You know, there's, it always seems like Cook has a transfer to up his sleeve to step in. And so, you know, the, Hey, this year was supposed to be a rebuilding year and we saw how that worked out. So not, not too bad, you know, I, I don't mind putting the label rebuilding year on another year for the Huskers if it can end up, you know, in a similar fashion with the Huskers making a deep run in the tournament. So, and next year if uh, they go to the Final Four, you can always go up north and hang out with John. I can go see John, spend a little bit of time there in uh, in Coronation's uh, international headquarters. 
and, and spend time with his no good son who went to Minnesota. That's no good son. <laughs> uh, we're kidding, Johnson. I'm sure you're listening. Uh, Ty, we have gone <laughs> much longer than we intended to, but always a great conversation with you, buddy. And it uh, happens. And hey, my uh, great pleasure. Do wish you and your family the very best this holiday season, and look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Merry Christmas, my friend, to you and your family, and I hope you guys have a great one. And it's safe and warm and wonderful. That that warm would be nice. I'll 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 I'll, I'll take safe and wonderful. Warm is an added bonus if it happens. Uh, stick eh. <laughs> stick around, you're everybody. Inside, hopefully, you're warm. That's right. We got a fireplace. Mom and Dad have a fireplace. We're okay. Uh, stick around, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with the, the newest member of the Coronation staff, Rick Cohn. He is uh, our new recruiting. Uh, I don't know, expert columnist. He he's the recruiting guy now, and we're going to uh, visit with him. Had a, a great conversation lined up with him, and we're going to talk all about the early signing period and some of the new faces who put uh, ink to paper and uh, are, are looking to join the Huskers. So that is coming up right after this on the Five Heart Podcast. Hey everyone, Kevin Huntsberger here from My One Two Three Cents, the podcast, and My One Two Three Cents dot com. Every Monday, a new episode drops with the latest news and happenings in the world of professional wrestling. Head to the archives and listen to interviews with legends of the ring like Double J, Jeff Jarrett, Mick Foley, Kamala, and Dan the Beast Severin. Current superstars like Sheamus, Xavier Woods, and Kofi Kingston have been part of the discussion too. Again, it's My One Two Three Cents, the podcast, a wrestling fan's perspective. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. And joining me now for the first time uh, on the Five Heart Podcast is the newest member of the Coronation family, Rick Cohn. And uh, he was brought in largely uh, for his recruiting cover coverage. So uh, we're going to welcome Rick in. Rick, welcome uh, to the show. It, it, anybody who has uh, followed Coronation for the past several years knows that towards the tail end of September, uh, we lost our recruiting guy um, and when Brian passed. So uh, we, we've been kind of g- really gone without for a couple of months. Uh, and, and then you came aboard. But let, before we talk about Recruiting. Let's let's learn a little bit more about you, man. Uh, uh, you're from Nebraska. Yes, I grew up about an hour north of Grand Island in Ord, Nebraska, home of the Chanticleers. And uh, I played football in high school, so that means I know everything there is to know about football because I played <laughs> in a 52 monster defense 25 years ago. So, and and then. Uh, I, I went through, I've got to stop go you there because this is a pet peeve of mine and everybody living past Hastings, Grand Island area, where it's considered Western Nebraska. I I lived out in Shadron, uh, you know, up in the Panhandle, of course, and and our joke always was that the Easterners, you know, the Lincoln and Omahaites, always thought that Western Nebraska was, you know, Grand Island and Hastings and Ord and and then. I don't know the other the rest of the state was part of Wyoming or something like that. So so it's good to talk with a fellow Western Nebraskan, if you will. Right, I, I believe that Western Nebraska starts after Gretna. <laughs> is, uh, how, is how that works actually when you look at the map. We'll have to ask Hoss about that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, played played football in in high school, and then what did you do after high school? So I went to the university for a year and. Uh, Unfortunately, I 
decided I liked, you know, wine women in song more than studying. <laughs> so then I left the university at their behest and joined the Navy. And uh, You mean their dismay. They were yeah. sad to see you go. <laughs> no, at their request, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I... Uh, and I joined the military, and uh, I was just going to do it for six years and then get out, you know, once I knew what I was going to do with my life. And it only took me 14 more years to do that. So then I retired. and To figure out what you were going to do with your life? Yep, still working <laughs> on it, still working on it. But uh, So then I worked as a construction superintendent for a few years, which is, oh, I don't know. I don't recommend it, but uh, I sure appreciate the people who do it. Right. And uh, so, but luckily, since I have a, a retirement uh, from the military and I was lucky enough to be married to a registered nurse, I was able to retire and do twice as much work at home because there's no working hours to keep up with my uh, lovely wife's, who's sitting behind me, Naturally. my lovely wife's honeydew list, so... Wait, twice the work half what pay, I right? do today it's, yeah exactly so so uh after Brian passed and and they they were asking for someone to do it it just so happens that uh for those of us who grew up in a small town you know everybody has to do everything in the school uh or else you those programs don't happen so sure. I was in football and wrestling and speech and drama and but I was also on yearbook staff and school paper, and and uh, I already s followed recruiting pretty closely, and so so I asked to join, and and John said yes, and then I said after a couple of days, I really realized <laughs> how much Brian did for us. Yeah, and so, and uh, to to say that we rolled out the big red carpet, I mean we we welcome we. At coordinate, I mean, aside from recruiting, what what Brian did, I mean, Salt has picked up the you know the scheduling stuff and, and trying to keep you know the publishing aspect of it. You know, he's like, all right, what do we got going tomorrow? He's always asking that question in the Slack chat room, as you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, but as as weird as it, John has always been John, um, but. Brian and I don't think John will dispute this uh, or anybody, but Brian was was the captain of the ship in, in a lot of ways, um, and, and everything that he did. I mean, he was my co-host, and he was the one who brought me in to Coronation uh, a few years ago when we had a different podcast by a different name. And then you know, life happens, and that kind of trailed off, and we got the itch uh, at the beginning of the 2016 season to start it up again. So that's how the Five Heart Podcast was born. But um, yeah, he. Man, he he wore so many hats and, and did so much, um, and and I think we're still you know three months later now, uh, almost to the day, uh, we're still in in kind of recovery and, and recoup mode to try to pick up that slack, and and which is why we had to we had to reach out because I don't think anybody on staff at the time really was was prepared or equipped to handle the recruiting stuff. Uh, to the magnitude that Brian did. So, uh, as, as you said, you know, there was uh, 
a, a call put out or or an advertisement, depending on you know how you want to look at it. And and man, we are just so thrilled to have you on board and uh, uh, ready to get back, kind of covering because really, you know, at after you know Brian passed, we didn't have anybody keeping track of the big board or recruits or anything like that. And, uh, you know, obviously some things have happened. We've had a coaching change and, and that affects recruiting. So Rick, man, we're, we're thrilled to have you on board and, uh, and we know you're going to do great things here. And that's how I knew how tough recruiting was going to be is how excited everyone that <laughs> was that I joined the team. So. It was like, somebody's still here to do the job and it's not us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. now you mentioned, uh, Obviously, you spent 20 years in the Navy, uh, and, and we were talking just uh, before we started recording, uh, but you, you do have a Nebraska story uh, about uh, it that in regards to the Navy, so I've got to have you, you tell that one, a Nebraska football story. So, so uh, unfortunately for me, but fortunately for my standards for the team, I missed the 90s. I went to I joined the Navy in uh, the spring of 93 and I missed the 94 season completely I missed the 95 season completely but uh so I don't have those dreams of grandioseness that uh, a lot of people do but we just so happened to be pulled into La Maddalena, Italy and uh it was the fall the winter time tourist season's over so there's nothing to do so we all went to the uh, on-base enlisted club, and it just so happened that on Armed Forces Network that night was the Nebraska-Oklahoma game. And uh, I sat there, and 96, Oklahoma was down, so we pasted them, <laughs> which is a good, you know, every game that we paste Oklahoma is a good game to watch. And there was a couple of young women there from uh, Nebraska who watched the game with us, so so my wife's in the room, but it was a good night to be a Husker fan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, and, uh, I'm assuming so they were I, other service service uh, individuals. Yes, yes, other service individuals. And I'm, I was looking for the politically correct way to phrase that. Service women, yes. I guess. Service men and service women. I guess if it's the enlisted club, it's it's only military personnel. So right, I'm not smart. And, uh, if there's one thing you'll learn, Rick, it's that I'm not smart. Got it. So it's it's interesting to watch a uh, a football game on on arm, the Armed Forces TV because they don't have commercials. So when the when you all are watching a commercial for Gillette or Budweiser or something like that, we get a thirty second uh, history lesson about the Constitution or something. <laughs> so it's a unique experience. I you so. know what I would I would take that. I would take that over the commercials if I could, and I would I would be less inclined to fast forward <laughs> when I'm on tape delay. So I could see how understood. Well, you know, if especially you're, after the 95th time that 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 <laughs> Nissan car ramped onto the uh, train last season. Yeah, you know, it, yes, I understand completely. And and so. no no disrespect to Larry Culpepper, but I could fast forward through a Dr Pepper commercial or two. So. Yes, unfortunately, he's from Nebraska, he so you have to and root that, for him. That's what, and that's why I say no disrespect. Uh, and and he's been on uh, the the Big Red Cobcast. Uh, our friends uh, uh, Pat and and Ryan. Um, he's been a guest on their show before, and, and seems like a really good dude, real genuine dude, and, and obviously very uh, 
you know, proud of his success, uh, especially being a Nebraskan. Um, could you say there's probably never been a more famous Nebraskan in, in entertainment ever? Than Larry Culpepper? <laughs> I was kidding. Well, I, mean, I was kidding. I mean, for, Johnny Carson, I, you know, being the big one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, except for Johnny Carson. There, there, there's some 70-year-old listening right now gripping their armrest on their chair. What did he say? <laughs> Well, my brother lived in uh, St. Paul, you know, so I, so I have been well versed in the history of Johnny Carson. So. Yeah, he he was a good dude, except for all the times he wasn't. But I digress. Yeah. Um, let's let's get into it uh, because as we're recording this, it is Wednesday evening, uh, the first Wednesday in the history of college football that has an early signing period, uh, Wednesday before Christmas. Uh, would you say that Nebraska? you know, got what it wanted out of its recruiting class this Christmas season? Well, I feel I feel the class is solid thus far. I really do. I don't want to be a homer, but uh, I feel like we only had one big miss, and that was uh, the, the Louisville commit, uh, Marcus Riley, the athlete, all-purpose type player that we were recruiting as a quarterback. We did not get him, and I feel that's the only big miss, the person that was in reach that we didn't get. So we pulled 10... Uh, we got 10 people to sign. We got our quarterback, Adrian Martinez, and he's a solid player. Are, he's are, going to do good things for Nebraska. Are we that just going to go ahead and coin him as A-Magic right away? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. I'm, I'm open to uh, input right, on that. Right. I hate to give him that Martinez stigma. Sure. But, but – uh, then you couple that with uh, the running back Greg Bell, and we've got Martinez and Bell back. You know, it's and we're running the spread again. You know, it's everything old is new again. Now, so talk me up a little bit. So about, we did the, the, Go ahead. It, it seems like the biggest difference between this recruiting class and, and uh, the previous recruiting classes is that man, we as soon as as Scott Frost and his staff took over, uh, they did something that the Mike Riley regime did not, and that was they hit up some JUCOs um, trying to uh, handle some of the attrition uh, by bringing in some more experienced players rather than you know true freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen, things like that. So talk to me a little bit about Greg Bell because he is a, a JUCO running back. What could he bring? Because we already have, you know, at, at least as far as we know coming back, uh, you know, Divino Zigbo, I don't think any of our running backs were – we're seniors, so Zigbo, Mikhail Wilbon, and Trey Bryant, if he's healthy, all, as far as I know, expected to come back. So what does Greg Bell bring to that stable of uh, running backs? Well, first of all, Greg Bell is a an exceptional pass blocker. That is, when you watch his huddle, it's uh, there are lots of headlights or highlights of him uh, while knocking out kids' headlights. <laughs> and uh, he is also a strong pass catcher out in the flat. Right, like on a delayed route out of the uh, the backfield, and the other thing that he does that it has we struggled with this season is yards after carry. Every one of his highlight videos involves yards after carry, and uh, that is where I think his biggest strength is going to be. If I don't like to criticize the kids, they're all trying their hardest, but uh, Divino Zigbo got stopped at the line. Now it got squeezed and pushed in, but if you watch him. His feet stop moving every time he hits that line, and then we end up with that two-yard carry and go have to throw the ball for the third and eight. Sure. And uh, 
And so I think that Greg Bell is going to alleviate a lot of that. So I think he was an important part of the class. What um, – and this is important because we lost him so early in the season, but uh, Trey Bryant was – you know, the starter at the beginning of this, you know, most, the 2017 season. And obviously with his injury, uh, which I believe took place in the second half of the Oregon game, which, man, you really got to go way back for that and how much he was missed with his uh, productivity. But how how would – if he was the um, – I'm looking for the, the right word, which obviously is eluding me at the moment. But if he was the – the chosen one at the beginning of the 2016 season. And I know different coaches are going to have different game plans and different things in mind. Uh, where do you see Trey Bryant in the mix, you know, assuming that he comes back healthy and, and, and you know, may, I guess maybe comes back at all. Where do you see him versus a Greg Bell? Because I think we saw some promising things out of Trey before that injury. Oh, uh, I think that if Trey Bryant had been healthy for the entire season, we would have a much different be having a much different conversation tonight. We might not be talking about a new coaching staff. Hmm. That is how much uh, different the team was with Trey Bryant versus the other running backs. So I think that uh, this is my finger in the air, of course, but I think you'll see uh, once again, assuming that Trey, Trey Bryant can come back and be healthy, I think you'll see a one-two punch between him and Greg Bell. I. That that's that's not a, a a statement, you know. The statement you just made, Rick, was not a statement that ever has been brought up here on on the show. I mean, the defense, for all of its issues, and there were many. You know, they you can look past some of those flaws. I think because you're instilling a new off or a new a new system, a new defense going from the four three to the three four. But what you said about you know if Trey Bryant had been healthy throughout the the course of the season. We might not be having this conversation, and we might, you know, not have, you know, dismissed Mike Riley and, and his staff. That is, that's the first time that I've heard, and and I'm not out there reading every columnist or every blogger every day. But that's the first time that I've heard that or or seen that statement. Uh, the, the kid was that dynamic, no disputing that, and and the uh, uh, the leaps and bounds, the improvement that he made from twenty. 16 to you know what we saw in in the first game and a half there of this year uh was simply incredible uh he he what you're saying is that he was he had that difference maker type of ability that you know could have turned the season in, in completely different so maybe not completely different but i think uh he's the difference between four wins and six wins okay so, he, he's the difference between so, four wins and bowling. That's where I'm at. And I think this is, of course, just the world according to Rick Cohn. But I think if we'd have went to a bowl this year, I think that Mike Riley would have been retained. So so I think that is, uh, that is how the, the butterfly that you crush that changes the world. Right. I think that uh, Trey Bryant's injury was, the, was that butterfly for Mike Riley. And by, by that token – also Scott Frost um, because yes. if he's yes, yes. if he's still undefeated who's to say that you know if if Trey Bryan is healthy and it's a six win season and they're bowling right now granted it's not going to be a great bowl but it's still a bowl um, you know Mike Riley uh, potentially is retained hey if you think about it Sean Eichhorst might have been retained because I doubt that you know that loss happens against Northern Illinois um, unless 
at, at the uh, you know board of regents and the president had an axe to grind, which is completely possible. I'm not you know saying one way or another, but then you don't have the opportunity to strike while the uh, you know iron is hot with Scott Frost because he might have been going to Florida, going Tennessee. I mean, he he could have been going anywhere if his season ended out the way it did. So. I don't ever look at an injury as a positive thing uh, because, you know, it, it obviously cost Nebraska a lot, and, and it cost Trey Bryant, yeah. obviously. Right, um, yeah. and, you know, I've got a bad shoulder over here, and I'm telling you, when you have an injury like that, he's going to be dealing with that for the rest of his life. Right. You know, we interact with these kids primarily for four to five years. You know, he's got to live with that knee until he's 80. Sure. So we definitely do, you know, we want him to be healthy. And, and – but, yes, I definitely think that uh, if you look at – I mean, by the end of the season, he was only 200 yards less than our leading rusher, and he played a and a half. Yeah, isn't that sad? <laughs> I know. As, as a statistic, that is just a, that's just a staggering. So, so I hope he comes back because I think when you have the two of those in the backfield running zone read and uh, – swing passes and run pass options and things like that. I think that's going to be a very, they're going to be very productive. And I, I think that Jalen Bradley will fit into that as well as the, the backup behind them. And, uh, unfortunately I think that leaves divine Zigbo out in the cold. What about Mikhail Wilbon? So, well, I'm sure Husker Mike's going to show up at my doorstep tomorrow, but I am not <laughs> as big a Wilbon fan as uh, as he is, and uh, so I he he improved markedly over the course of the season, but he, but he is not the pass catcher that Greg Bell is going to be. He's not the runner that Trey Bryant is, and he is not the the pass blocker that Ozigbo or anybody else is. Mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, I think he is just uh, a third string back. We've talked about uh, Greg Bell. You mentioned Adrian Martinez, but there, just just a moment ago, you, you mentioned uh, you know they and zone reads and and uh, there, there's a famous uh, phrase called pronouns, pal. Um, but I, I wanted to get some clarification who you were referring. Were you talking about Trey Bryant and Greg Bell on zone reads, or were you talking about one of those running backs and a quarterback? And if so, with the addition of Adrian Martinez. And a new coach, what do you foresee happening to the quarterback picture? Because we've got Tanner Lee and Pob and Tristan Gebbia and and now Adrian. Mar- I mean, we've got an abundance of quarterbacks. And how many of them do you think stick around? Um, I see Tanner Lee uh, going to the pros. Okay. So if he's smart, he'll go to the pros and. Uh, when you look around and talk to people in the know, they they all feel that that the film he put out there is uh, is is good. That there is meat for the scouts to look at. Sure. So, uh, and you know he's tough and he's a leader, and there are a lot of positives. I I don't feel like we did right by him as a as a team. I think he was a better quarterback than his stats and his performance led on. So. But he is not going to be mobile, and he is going to move on and be a, be an Aaron Rodgers in the pros. Well, maybe not an Aaron Rodgers, but you know, <laughs> better than a Joe Flacco. Okay, so and I'll tell you what, Joe Flacco's been an MVP. So 
uh, or at least, you know, I think a Super Bowl MVP. So he has, uh, which burns me to say, because I hate the Ravens, um, but I also can't dispute that, that talent. But yeah, you're right. Tanner Lee, I don't think, uh, and we saw the mobility is not there. Uh, I mean, he's more, how do I put this? uh, I'm not going to say the original, I'm going to say statue. I wasn't going to say the original uh, metaphor I wanted to pull because, you know, it's 2017 and I, I like listeners, and I don't like, you know, <laughs> I don't like people, you know, calling my employer and saying he said this thing on his podcast. And uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Tanner Lee's very much a, a a statue back there. He doesn't like to move, and he doesn't like to avoid being sacked, and that's not very good in in the system that Scott Frost is bringing. Right, it's not going to work. And uh, now uh, I do believe that. Uh, Tristan Gebbia and P.O.B. have uh, have opportunities. I, I don't believe Adrian Martinez has uh, spent a year off, and uh, Adrian Martinez has had a year off for a torn labrum in his shoulder. So I know a lot of people are real excited, uh, having done that to myself three times. That is not a quick. He's not going to be ready to play get, to run games by the end of the spring. Is okay. what I'm trying to say. All right. So I think that uh, the team long term would be best served to redshirt him, let him learn the system. Uh, you know, utilize that Husker weight room to sure. uh, to become you know as as strong and 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 quick as he can, and uh, and we'll use. Uh, and use uh, whichever wins between Gebbia and, and O'Brien. And I think both of them could do it. They're not going to be superstars. They're not, they're not going to be uh, All-Americans doing it, but I think they can do it. Uh, they're both smart kids. They both have uh, uh, some. I think Gebbia is more mobile, but I think he also is a pencil. So he needs to eat a lot of corn this summer. <laughs> and... Uh... We, we've only kind of focused at least uh, so far on on you know names like uh, Greg Bell, names like Adrian Martinez, but it didn't take long on on the uh, first ever early signing period for Nebraska to get those faxes starting to come in. Uh, so let's talk about some of the early early period early signees: uh, Deontay Williams and uh, Barrett uh, Pickering. For, tell tell me tell me what you can about uh, about those young men. So, Barrett Pickering, Kickering Pickering. I'm sorry, it's going to stick. Kickering Pickering. He is a solid kicker, and I, for one, believe strongly in uh, using a scholarship for a kicker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we all watched. How many times have we watched Alabama? I try to, you know, a dominant. Well, we don't do it on purpose, but sometimes you have to. And uh, you've watched them when they're in their marquee games, and they struggle. One oh nine. We all know what one oh nine is. One oh nine would have never happened if they had uh, had recruited kickers like they do the rest of the team. Well, they, uh, the the problem is at Alabama, and I think much of the SEC, and 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 uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of dispute is after they've paid for quarterbacks and tailbacks and linemen and, and linebackers. and There's not a whole lot of money left over for the kicker. That's why. 
baddest I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that, even though it is absolutely true. Yeah, see, that's so, all the comment we needed. <laughs> so, so Kickering, Pickering, uh, and and what I mean, what are what are his stats look like? Like, what's what what does he bring? I mean, is, is he going to be the next Drew Brown? Well, he has a long of forty nine in high school. So I think that uh, absolutely. I think he uh, was he the number two kicker in the nation. He was in the top five kickers in the nation. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. And it's so funny how a lot of high schools, at least uh, you know, in my days covering high school sports and, and high school football and things like that, is a lot of high schools don't even have a true set kicker. It's like okay, who's the best foot that we have? Let's throw him out there and hope for the best. Or we're just going to go like there are some high schools. That I've seen, it, obviously not all. You know, I'm, I haven't seen every high school, but there are are some teams that are always in you know four down territory because they don't have a kicker, they don't have anybody that they can go out there and, and you know have trust that they can send through a twenty yard field goal, let alone a forty yard field goal. Um, so this is this is huge. I mean, it. I, I'm like you said. I if you can get points and kickers traditionally score the most points that's worth giving a scholarship oh i agree uh they can bail you out of so many situations so so i'm i'm excited for him uh the other name that you mentioned was deontay williams that was kind of uh he is a juco defensive back he uh he projects to me as a hybrid cover corner or nickel, uh, even though he's listed as a safety on his profile. But uh, in an interview with his coaches, he says he he can play every position. That's where I see him playing for us. That was a that was an interesting thing. Just Saturday, Friday night, Saturday night, all of a sudden, bam! Hey, Deontay Williams wants to come visit. Next day, he comes visit. He. Uh, Signs his papers, he leaves. It was just just like that. It was just a, a prairie thunderstorm. Blew up, bam, commit, and left. What So, what does it say maybe about, uh, uh, and maybe, I don't know if, it, I, I will, I'll word this as delicately as I can. Um, I mean, who were other schools that were pursuing him? It, it's, I don't want it to, to come across like, you know, are we just getting – the leftovers, you know, or things like that. But I mean, is this a young man who was coming in who had, you know, looks was being looked at, maybe some offers from other schools, or is this like, oh well, Nebraska's, you know, beats the heck out of. Uh, I sorry, Jill. The first place that popped in my mind was uh, uh, South Dakota State University. <laughs> so I mean, no disrespect, um, but you know, was it just the best offer, or was it, you know, and, and that's not to disparage Nebraska, but. At, at, at where Nebraska's at right now, they're not, you know, Wisconsin or an Ohio State or a Michigan, you know, things like that. So what were other schools that were pursuing him that that we might have been able to, to sneak one past there? Well, hold on. I'm just going to have to bring it up. <laughs> so I don't have all this stuff memorized. I can tell you next year, by the time this, – this year I've been playing catch-up just like uh, Scott Frost has – the next year, I'm going to have like a room with the pictures and the strings, and it's going to be like the, <laughs> the the beautiful mind guy, and you know all the writing on all the walls. It's uh, 
So he his offer list was Florida, Ole Miss, UCF, and Nebraska. I like that. Typically, yeah, typically you see smaller offer lists on the JUCOs, right? Your junior college guys, they there's more dialogue. It's not you know you're not throwing out mad offers for uh, those guys. There's dialogue between uh, your your recruiting coordinators and the junior colleges. And and it's interesting so. that uh, UCF was on there because that brings to mind an, an impressive question or not impressive. That's the wrong word, but uh, a question that's been on my mind is obviously Scott Frost and his staff were recruiting people to UCF before you know they knew that they'd be moving to Lincoln. So how many of those targets, how many of those recruits that they were looking at were they saying, "Hey, we really like you and we're still high on you and what do you think about instead of playing for UCF about playing in the Big 10 and and a little bit more exposure." I mean, how many of of these signees or recruits were being looked at by Frost when he was down in Orlando? Well, that is an intriguing question. Because clearly we can see that they had a well-developed game plan that had taken plenty of time to develop before they uh, the day they announced that uh, Scott Frost was the coach. <laughs> so what you're I'm saying is, is uh, ge- gears were in motion perhaps a while back. So it makes you wonder how many people they were – developing a relationship with kind of putting them in their hip pocket you know just in case i i'm just this is pure speculation of course of course i've obviously never spoke to those people but boy it uh there it does seem as though uh it does seem as though there was a lot of groundwork laid right to where we are today so the level of preparation by scott frost and his crew is nothing short of uh Incredible, just awe-inspiring. I mean, they talk about it in non-sports magazines. That's how. Uh, that's that's the level that he was at coming into there. So I'm not a Scott Frost homer, but I'm telling you, the they had a game plan and they executed it, and that really, you know, just if they can do that with the recruiting, think what they can do with a, something as simple as a ball game. Right. <laughs> funny, funny how all of a sudden you know just the the X's and O's seem so uh, uh, you know like like checkers instead of chess. Um, let, let's rip through a couple more of these recruits uh, because uh, you know I think they took double digits on day one. Uh, so tell me about uh, uh, Katerian Lagrone. Katerian Lagrone is uh, now he is someone he does not have a big offer list. South Carolina and Syracuse were his only Power Five offers. But uh, he is a big-bodied wide receiver who can stand there and get the first down. When you, he is that guy that is going to stand a half yard past the stick and uh, take the hit as, as the ball comes in and get us first down after first down. And the other thing he's going to do for us is give us that downfield blocking aspect that is going to turn these seven-yard Right, a good a good line a good uh, running back can t- make two yards into seven yards. A good wide receiver can make seven yards into twenty yards. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, I think he's going to see playing time uh, as a, quite soon. He is he is filling a big a big need. And but he has a, a unique frame, and I think that might have uh, 
not not many people need six three two hundred and thirty pound wide receivers. You know they want uh, they want skinny four uh, four running wide receivers. So he's kind of a unique uh, uh, frame, and that that is that's going to make him not get uh, recruited as hard because he's like a niche player. But I think he's going to do good things for us. I watched his film. He is not the most beautiful route runner, but uh, he is another guy that he puts himself into open holes and then he breaks tackles. And uh, that can do a lot for you. He's never going to make 70-yard touchdown runs, but he's going to make a lot of 7- to 13-yard first down runs and keep drives alive. With, with, his, so, with his frame being 6'3", 230, like I said, uh, is he a good possible target on like a fade route into the end zone things like that or does he need a few more inches uh i i see you know we didn't really have a whole lot of size at the the wide receiver core we had some strength i mean you, you look at you know someone like stanley morgan i mean he could go out there and, and just make catches with his hands um but you know alonzo moore was tall but he was a little uh lanky uh but still had had good speed um so is where does katerian i mean in, in the the echelon of you know recent Husker receivers, how, how does he compare? Uh, you know, is, is he something like a, a Kenny Bell who who would, would fight for those extra yards? See, I don't see him as a Kenny Bell. I see him more as a, maybe like a um, what's oh, the name? He plays for the Eagles now. Oh shoot. My mind went blank too. <laughs> Ninety-nine yards, exactly uh, touchdown uh, yeah, pass. Quincy Inunwa. Thank you, Quincy Inunwa. That's he's exactly the name Quincy I thought. Quincy Inunwa. <laughs> yes, so. that, that's who he's going to be. Quincy, right. you know, he he was not fleet of foot, but he caught every ball that uh, got next to him, and uh, that that is the role that I see him playing in. Okay, is uh, is that guy? A lot of times when you mention, uh, you know, size stats like 6'3", 230, and uh, in, in a receiver, you think, well, why not use them at tight end? Well, they just brought in uh, a, a guy by the name of uh, Javian Hawkins, um, or I, I should say perhaps not uh, Brian. He, he looks like he's holding off. He, we did not we did not sign him. He is uh... – I misread that. My, my fault, listeners, my fault. <laughs> so Javian Hawkins – to be honest with you, I don't think we're going to get him. Uh, he project. He, he is a strong Missouri lean. He signs Friday. We'll, we'll know then. Uh, he had a good visit with us, but I, I really think he uh, ends up at Missouri. They've been recruiting him for a long time. Uh, that's going to be a common theme. Uh, it's very difficult, no matter how good a recruiter you are, to build a relationship in two weeks. Sure. And... Uh, that is going to outdo someone that's been talking to you four days a week for two years. Right. So, no, I, and I'm not disputing that. Uh, uh, so, be interesting to see what happens either before Christmas or, um, you know, in February. But let's uh, jump down here to a little later in the morning. Uh, we have what at least appears to be a familiar last name, uh, perhaps a younger brother, uh, but Will Farniak. Uh, and, and I like the addition here. Um, because not only is he going to uh, sign and play for Nebraska, but you know he's probably going to uh, vanquish dragons, as you put it. <laughs> he has such glowing, silky locks. Oh my god! I think that is important <laughs> in and of itself. 
So Will Farniak obviously is the family connection. So I, I mean, we had a strong, uh, strong possibility of getting him, but I, I do believe that he fills an area of need. Uh, Cole Conrad struggled last season. Yeah. Struggled markedly. And Michael Decker was, uh, really strong even as a as a redshirt freshman i really don't like to play redshirt you know i really don't like to play those young guys you think about it at one point we had a redshirt freshman center a redshirt freshman right guard a true freshman right tackle and on the line and you need to give those those those, they need time to fine-tune their technique and grow their bodies to really it takes four years to build alignment if you have a freshman on the line, right, you're you're in, you're in a bad situation. Yeah. And uh, and the scary thing is, it was the good side of the line, but but uh, so Michael Decker's going to come back healthy. Cole Conrad is going to ride the bench. I Will Farniak may well be uh, uh, second string. So we were. We were struggling for a quality center. We struggled for a quality center with under Pelini as well. That is a hard position to recruit. So we've been looking for a good center for a long time. So so I am happy that they signed him because a, a dedicated center uh, is something that we we really need. And, and I'll say this because I've made this point uh, with Haas before is I like my offensive linemen to have beards. Like I want their hair to be on the on their front of their face and not the back of their head, like many of our offensive linemen uh, this past season. But Will can keep his his brunette locks. I mean, it something about that. My gosh, it's 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 stunning to behold. Uh, <laughs> let's, let, let, if nothing else, it gives us uh, excellent adjectives to describe him in. Uh, in future uh, gamer articles, so I, I can't wait to uh, to write a, a fan fiction uh, starring him in, in a uh, possible Lord of the Rings uh, Game of Thrones type type uh, story. It's going to be it's going to be beautiful. Um, knocking out Sounds like a good awesome project. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll, when, I, when I have all that time with my two year old, we're going <laughs> to yeah. work on that. Uh, David Alston, Cameron Jurgens. Uh, let's talk about them real quick as as a uh, man. We, we we're having fun and having a great conversation, but but uh, it, it yeah, looks like at eleven o'clock this morning, the coronation recruiting staff was was feeling the pressure and, and, and feeling the stress of it all, according to uh, your post here. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's much later in the day now, and and homeboy's got to get some sleep tonight. So, um, what can you tell me about Austin and Jurgens? So, Austin is uh, a good get, and the same thing with uh, with Jurgens. He's Cameron Jurgens is the number one. Uh, uh, athlete in the state of Nebraska. I mean, a, a important in-state get. We've recruited a lot of tight ends, and he's more of a physical blocking tight end. I wonder if he doesn't end up on the defensive side of the line. So he played uh, on. He played tight end, and he played some uh, defensive end. So I wonder if we see him play defense. Uh, David Alston's very strong. Ed is a quality player. The four is going to be a quality player for us. Uh, we recruited a lot of uh, defensive ends. They're still looking for more uh, in January. Um, 
Let's see. Who else did we uh, – I think that, that covers pretty much everybody that we got. Uh, two players did not sign letters of intent today. That is uh, defensive back C.J. Smith. As a, he will be signing in February. The school that he attends, they have a big signing ceremony for all the players that he wanted to take part in. Cool. I don't think we have any risk there for him flipping anywhere. And uh, uh, six uh, wide receiver recruit Justin McGriff is going to sign Friday for the same reason, be a part of the big school uh, program and now that uh, McGriff he will sign Friday. I have high confidence, but he is six five. He is your person to sit in the corner of the end zone right. or in the back of the end zone for that little pop up pass. He is that guy that is going to catch the those those passes in the back of the end zone for the passing touchdowns. That's what uh, Justin McGriff brings us. So the last. Uh, committed player that we have that has not signed is defensive tackle Maisry say his last name for me Maypu Maypo Maisry the the defensive tackle from York so he's an academic risk right now and he has an uphill climb to qualify academically so I hope him the best Jaron Woodyard uh, did sign later in the day he did sign. I was a little nervous when he made that. Uh, he made an official visit to Tennessee last weekend after he had signed to us, and there was a lot of orange in his in his Twitter. Sure, but uh, but he uh, once Greg Bell signed with us, and I felt pretty good about it, and and so we got Jared Woodyard. So we had uh, that's three wide receivers. We still need another one, I think. Right, we lost uh, uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., and we did not sign Cameron Brown. Although we knew long time ago that he wasn't going to come, so I, I don't really consider that a loss, Cameron Brown, because he really wasn't ours to lose. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Keyshawn, that's a when you're gone from that. I mean, it's tough to get him back. Yeah, that was a, that was a so, delicate situation, I think, all around. I don't think anybody's. You know, um, nobody's to fault. And different coaching staff, and I'd have to come in. And uh, so, before we let you go, Rick, and, and uh, I, I've got to ask, how many times did you end up watching the Christmas Prince in a row? Today, <laughs> <laughs> only twice today. Today, so I also watched White Christmas. There you go. See, that's a best. Good. Uh, Christmas movie of all time, and there was a couple other terrible ones that played, but but uh, it was a rainy, miserable day. It's a good day to be uh, fanatically following recruiting on the computer and uh, and watching Christmas movies and doing home ha- and doing housework. So it sounds like so, a, a, it sounds like a better day than I had. Um, well, there's no two year olds here, so that it definitely probably had the potential to be better. Well, I, he's been quiet. I mean, he, he we started this uh, when we started recording. He was doing bath time, and uh, now listeners, don't worry. My wife is home. It's not like I'm just letting my two year old take a bath by himself. I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. Um, but anyway, no, he they're they're do, doing good, and the, he's been quiet. I'm surprised he hasn't run down the stairs and 
and come and jump to my lap because he'll do that sometimes when we when we record the podcast. But uh, uh, Rick, man, it looks like you knocked it out of the park, and uh, looking forward to more recruiting conversations with you, uh, and especially uh, the what we consider uh, National Signing Day there in the first Wednesday of February. We'll have to get together again. And uh, uh, folks, make sure that you're following him. Uh, where, where can they follow you on social media? Well, I'm at UglyDog56 on Twitter. And uh, and I'm, I'm a frequent poster and commenter at Corn Nation. So I'm not, I'm not all over the internet on the Snapchats and, and Instachats and whatnot. Just... Uh, <laughs> Primarily on Twitter and Facebook, and look for Ugly Dog Fifty Six. And uh, of course, read his stuff on Coronation dot com. And uh, uh, like I said, Rick, we, we're going to be following you uh, because you're going to be following the recruiting trail uh, all off season long. So we will uh, be interested to see what you have to say, and it's it's going to be real, inter- really interesting. I think uh, for this staff, once they really get uh, you know set and settled and start looking to the future where they have more time to build a recruiting class and uh, what they have you know in the works for next year because that's that's going to be you know i mean oh absolutely if you Uh, look at what they were able to accomplish in the short window that they had here this month and then you span that out over 12 months uh and and i I really liked what you said is that uh, with with a particular signing uh they became you know 39th something like that which put them ahead of iowa which is always good I mean, we should always be ahead of iowa definitely so, want to be ahead of iowa um, so so uh rick appreciate your time and your efforts sir and uh, look forward to having you on the podcast again talking more recruiting we'll do it periodically we won't do it just around uh signing days because uh we as everybody knows the husker fan base is rabid for recruits um but it goes without saying and yet here I will say it again. Don't tweet recruits. Don't tweet players. If you're going to tweet, tweet us. We'll take it. Yes, tweet me. I am, I'm retired. I have plenty of time to read and answer your tweets. <laughs> so, and, and, and I need entertainment. It doesn't even have to be Husker football recruit related. If you want to tweet Rick and ask him what his favorite uh, uh, style of shoe is, uh, maybe what his favorite pizza toppings are. He'll answer all your questions. Just Absolutely. To, and, Absolutely. And we'll, Thank do, you for we'll that. do the same. We'll do the same. Uh, you can follow the show uh, at five. Uh, that is the number five heart podcast. You can follow me on Twitter as well and interact there at the hooch 36. Uh, Rick, appreciate your time. Ugly dog. Uh, I, I, you're not ugly. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, judging you, but the, the dog, the, the Corgi that you have shared in, in on uh coronation with the the uh coronation i'm gonna get it right the coronation recruiting staff uh the corgi, <laughs> the corgi is adorable uh as almost all corgis are um so what what's your corgi's name his name is cadillac jack cadillac jack yes and he looks calm is he a calm corgi not at all <laughs> not even a little bit but he was just worn out plum tired he was, he was quite photogenic today so, so. Well, hopefully uh, he, he's calm and so you can get some rest tonight because you've had a busy day. Your first signing day with Coronation, how do you feel it went? Well, I, I feel it is solid. I, th- I think we laid a good foundation, and I think that uh, it, there, 
like I said, I made a comment in my my article. Um, I don't think that this is a recruiting class that we're going to have to work around in the future. I think these are all quality additions that are going to be able to contribute to the program. And that's what you want to look for in a uh, transition recruiting class. That That's the definition of success in my mind. I'm looking forward to seeing what these young men do uh, with the scarlet and cream on their on their chest and looking forward to reading more. Hopefully in the future I have more time to be a little bit more uh, uh, up to speed on, on your writings. But, uh, man, everybody needs to follow you uh, and read your stuff on Coordination dot com and follow you on twitter ugly dog 56 rick cone he is our new recruiting specialist at coronation.com and uh, he was my guest uh, as well as ty peter on it earlier in the show talking husker volleyball we've knocked out some recruiting and we'll do it again Cruton talk is back on the five heart podcast i'm greg mahachko reminding you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need go big red Go Big Red and win the damn off season. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. <laughs>